Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Seven AM Central African time. Thank you very much for joining us for the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. Myself, Samora Mangesi. It is a the start of a brand new week, uh, the fifth of October. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African Perspective, broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and. Uh, my name is Samora Magesi and I'm in studio with Anne Musa as well as Tamiso Lehoko. A couple of top stories on uh, Africa Rise and Shine at this hour. Efforts to jumpstart South Africa's economy after an unprecedented economic crisis caused by the COVID-19 pandemic are set to feature prominently on the agenda of the party's Lekhotla. Uh, Kenyan president asserts that Africa's biggest asset is the potential held by its youthful population and not its natural resources. In economics, Costa Rica's president says he will withdraw a contentious austerity proposal aimed at helping the government secure a major loan from the IMF after four days of protests. Right now, though, let's uh, cross on over to the news desk. Here's Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. Two people have been killed and several injured in clashes between supporters of Kenya's president Uhuru Kenyatta and those backing his deputy William Ruto. Rival supporters spouted each other with stones and burnt tires as Ruto attended a church service in the president's political stronghold. The police fired tear gas, some of which went into the church. Kenyatta and Ruto had long been political rivals, but when both were accused by the International Criminal Court of election-related violence, they formed an alliance ahead of the 2013 polls. They have since fallen out, largely due to Ruto's intention to run for president in two years' time when Kenyatta steps down. The United States has welcomed the establishment of a transitional government in Mali as an initial step towards a return to constitutional order. In late September, President Bahandau, a retired colonel, appointed president of the transition, named veteran diplomat Mokta Owane as the interim prime minister. The men will be tasked with overseeing an 18-month transition back to civilian rule after the August 18th overthrow of President Ibrahim Bubaka Keita. The U.S. State Department spokesperson says they urge the transitional government to honor its commitments to the economic community of West African states, including holding democratic elections within 18 months. The statement also urged the transitional government to fight corruption and reform electoral processes. Nigeria's Inspector General of Police has banned a notorious unit from carrying out activities amid growing anger about harassment and atrocities committed by its officers. The BBC's Will Ross says many Nigerians view the SARS armed police unit as, a crimin- as criminal thugs. 
It's been an all-too-common sight in Nigeria, especially on the streets of Lagos. Men not in uniform, but often in jeans, brandishing an assault rifle, harassing people for money. A small badge on their jacket says F-SARS, the special anti-robbery squad. Some unverified videos show what we're told are people who've been shot by F-SARS officers. Nigeria's police boss has now banned them from stop-and-search operations. He says any incidents of abuse will be prosecuted, and two officers have already been arrested in Lagos. Political analyst Professor Somado Tafikeni has warned that the credibility of the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture would be dented if it were to succumb to former South African President Jacob Zuma's demands. Zuma's legal team has written a letter requesting for Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo to recuse himself as the chairperson of the Commission, accusing him of being biased against their client. Zuma believes that Zondo cannot give him a fair hearing in his next appearance, which is due next month. Fikeni says Zuma's move is not surprising. If you look at the legal challenges of President Zuma, including the one of the arms deal, it's the same modus operandi, to fight it to the end and yet present to the public that you want your day in court. And also when the public start making allegations of you being implicated, you say, but the courts have not yet found me guilty. Well, to me, I do think that you'd still have a situation where it continues. Of course, it will have suffered huge credibility challenge, in a sense, but I don't think it would come undone. And finally, thousands of Israelis opposed to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his handling of the coronavirus pandemic have held protests around the country. The demonstrations were in defiance of a new law imposing curbs on public assembly. The law bans people traveling more than a kilometer from home to attend a protest. Critics say the move is aimed at silencing protests against Netanyahu. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. I'm Figueiredo Lungwati with a sports update. First up, Pitts Tennis News. South Africa's teen sensation Kololoami Monzi roared a championship challenge with a straight set 6-2-6-2 win over French wildcard Axel Gassien in their first round, round of 64 Roland Garros Jr.'s clash on court 13 in Paris. The 17-year-old captain Baze Monzi, the 11th seed and 13th world-ranked junior, imposed himself spectacularly on the contest from the outset and ran up a four-love lead against a local boy in no time. The unseeded Gassian is listed at 68th in junior world tennis. Clay has always been Monzi's favorite surface and it showed as in no time he struck up cohesion as he took the Frenchman apart. Monzi will now play unseeded Brit Felix Gill in the second round. Gill, the 38th world-ranked, defeated Italy's 5-7 Leonardo Malgorini, also unseeded in 58th in the world, 5-7. 6-3 in Sunday's first round clash. Athletics South Africa's Geda Stein ran inside next year's Tokyo Olympic Games women's marathon qualifying time of 2 hours 29.30 seconds in yesterday's London Marathon. Another South African, Franz Melikaya, improved his personal best but fell short to qualify for the men's Tokyo Olympic Games marathon. Our correspondent Geshom Nyati reports. 
Jetterstein finished a commendable seventh position in 2 hours 26 minutes 51 seconds. She improved her personal best by 57 seconds, recorded at the New York City Marathon in the USA last year, where she was 11th overall. Stain had targeted a sub 2 hours 25 minutes in the London event, according to the coach Nick Bester. Bad weather conditions affected the competitors. It was cold, windy and raining at times. 30-year-old Stain won the Two Oceans Ultramarathon in Cape Town last year. And finally, Sergio Garcia made a tap in birdie on the 72nd hole to win the Sanderson Farms Championship, taking his first USPGA title since capturing the 2017 Masters. The 40-year-old Spaniard dropped his approach inside three and a half feet and eagled the par 5, 14th to match U.S. clubhouse leader Peter Malnati, then landed an 8-iron from 171 yards, just two and a half feet from the cup at 18 and made the winning part. Garcia fired a 5 under par 67 to finish 72nd holes at the Country Club of Jackson, Mississippi, on 19 under 269 and edged Malnati, who was in the clubhouse with the lead for two hours by a stroke. Garcia dedicated the victory to his father, Victor Garcia, who has seen two brothers die because of COVID-19. That's a Sport News this hour. Efforts to jumpstart the economy after an unprecedented economic crisis caused by the COVID-19 pandemic are set to feature prominently on the agenda of South Africa's ruling ANC-NEC Lakotla. The two-day virtual meeting, which started on Friday and ends today, is attended by ANC members deployed in all three spheres of government, alliance partners. Debo Mukobo reports. The ANC-NEC Lakotla takes place in the midst of the West economic crisis as a result of the coronavirus. The local economy plunged 51% on an annualized basis in the second quarter during the hard lockdown. Unemployment remains stubbornly high with inflation rising and growth stagnant. It will now be all hands on deck at the governing party's NEC Lekhotla to find ways to reignite the economy. The ANC spokesperson is Pule Mabe. The African National Congress resumed its first virtual national Lekhotla to primarily deal with issues of uh, economic recovery, uh, largely on infrastructure development, resource financing and investment mobilization, development of key economic sectors, peace and stability, as well as fighting corruption, mobilizing society and building social compacts, building a capable ethical developmental state, local government and implementation of the district development model. One issue that would be hard for the ANC to ignore is the recent countrywide police swoop on people accused of corruption. Some of them include high-ranking party members like former MP Vincent Smith and former Mangaung executive mayor Olim Lamleli. The ANC says it's watching this with keen interest. We have noted a number of developments in the country, including arrests that have taken place, occasioned by the work of the State Capture Commission. The African National Congress is watching all of these developments with keen interest and will be able to comment broadly when some of these processes have been concluded. Political analyst Dr. Somato Tafikeni says this arrest could be sparked by a number of reasons. 
The second one might be the realization of how expensive the Zondo Commission is in terms of what has been allocated to it and therefore people might not be in a mood to see yet another commission and no results and the third one might be the fact that the law enforcement entities were still doing their thorough investigation to make sure that this time around their cases are watertight and of course they've come in for a lot of criticism for taking too much of a time whilst the revelations were coming through the Zondo Commission and other court cases. So from all sides, the pressure has been mounting. Meanwhile, the outcomes of the ANC and EC Lekotla will feed into the next cabinet Lekotla and will probably form the basis of the mid-term budget presented by Finance Minister Tito Mboweni later this month. I am Tebu Mokobo in Johannesburg. And moving on right now to Zimbabwe, where the crackdown on illegal settlements in major cities and towns has left thousands stranded, with homes destroyed and property broken. Through the newly appointed development committees for all 10 provinces, the government has embarked on home destruction for those who allegedly built illegally on state, council and private land. In Zimbabwe, land barons, mainly from the ruling ZANU-PF, have brought about enormous suffering to the unsuspecting home seekers, although arrests of those corrupt officials are not taking place. Simon Muchemwa reports from Harare. What appeared to be an upcoming housing community with modern homes in a high-density township has vanished in a few days. Only rubbles are left scattered everywhere. This community in Kwazana, in the capital Harare, is one of the hundreds more where thousands of dwellers were left stranded on Thursday when authorities destroyed their homes. While government says the destruction is targeting homes built on land sold by land barons, ordinary citizens are the ones suffering. These destructions are against a 2005 resolution by the Supreme Court that any home destruction can only be done after an alternative piece of land has been identified. At least 2 million people then had been affected by what was later called Murambachina, meaning cleaning the dead, resulting in the intervention of the United Nations. Victims of the home destruction, this time, are now sleeping in the open and have erected temporal wooden structures with nowhere to go. Channel Africa spoke to the victims in Harare. <laughs> On the very day, the landowners were phoned. They did not pick their phones. We wanted to know who the real landowner was. But the war veterans did not show up. Nobody informed us if we should stay put or not. And at the time, graders were already destroyed. Another victim said no one warned them of the impending home destruction while those who sold them the land disappeared. We are not aware on the reasons for destroying our homes. We were surprised to see graders, municipal police in the area. They just told us to take away our property out of our homes as they were being destroyed. We are depressed, but we don't have enough information of what could be happening. More than a month ago, President Emerson Mnangagwa appointed a 10-member committee of provincial coordinators to spearhead devolution and provincial development. 
These committees were given the mandate to regularize the land maintenance in major cities and towns, starting with the capital. In Arare, a businessman, Tafadzwa Muguti, was appointed to deal with the land barons and theft of state, council and private land, and should be put to rest. The past administration tried to resolve this, but failed because officials in the ruling ZANU-PF are the culprits, Mugutu said. Whilst my job entails socio-economic development in the province, let me remind everyone that, ma that money follows structure and vision. As such, we cannot expect Harare Metropolitan Province to be the greatest economy in the country and attain upper-middle-income economy status by 2030 <laughs> when we have such reckless characters driving the country and the province backwards. It is one thing to parcel out land with no title. However, it is worse to abuse the name of your political party, your leadership, and that of His Excellency, the President, whilst engaging in such criminality and giving the impression of the endorsement of her illegal personal activities. Muguti pleaded with the media to report land matters truthfully in order to warn and educate victims of illegal land sales. There are some areas where people will try and politicize what we are doing. There are some areas where people will think they are being victimized. And as you do your general reporting, we urge for transparency and so that we do not get this to be twisted as if it's something which is anti-development. This is a world cause. In Arare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Mchemwa. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country, its people, and our economy to a situation that is more normal, that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, the 20th of 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. Channel Africa. For your latest update on COVID-19, that is the novel coronavirus, I'm Hilda Kekera for Channel Africa in Livingston, Zambia. When someone coughs or sneezes, they spray small liquid droplets from their nose or mouth which may contain the virus. If you are too close, you can breathe in the droplets, including 19 virus, if the person coughing has the disease. The 2020 by-election registration process in most regions of South Africa has proceeded without any problems. There are vacancies in 96 wards across the country and, by, and the by-elections will be held in 56 municipalities on the 11th of November. Although there were no hiccups on the administration front, the rainy weather did affect the numbers of people coming to registration centres in provinces like the Eastern Cape. Olani Sichinga reports. The IEC says they are happy with the registration process as there have been no reports of disruptions or incidents at the registration points across the country. Certain provinces such as the Eastern Cape had bad weather conditions. However, people did go and register. Despite the low turnout in some areas, 
IC Chief Electoral Officer Simon Mabolo says they are satisfied with the numbers. There's been a steady flow of voters uh, yesterday. We have also received reports of inclement weather in KZN as well as in Limpopo. Despite this inclement weather, we estimate that throughout the country we may have surpassed the 10,000 mark uh, registration by 12 o'clock this afternoon. We are happy that we've been able to offer our citizens an opportunity to enroll on the voters' roll and thus be in a position to participate in the planned by-election taking place on the 11th of November. The IC in the Eastern Cape says, even though the registrations are done under difficult circumstances of COVID-19, the commission followed the lockdown protocols. IC Provincial Manager Siabonga Maki says the turnout was not bad. Uh, even though it was raining, we are happy to report that we have, we had many people coming in to, to register at our voting stations. Uh, the total number of people who visited our voting stations yesterday on record is 1,485. And we hope that today, because the weather is better than yesterday, we will receive more people. The first statistics that we will collect is at three. So the the picture will will begin to tell at that time. But we are hopeful that the numbers will will improve today. KwaZulu Natal is sharing the same sentiment as the Eastern Cape, but the acting IEC commissioner, Ndomifutu Simanga, is encouraging communities to use the last day to register. Everything went pretty much well in all our 58 voting stations in 12 watts in the province. The numbers were very low as expected and we don't expect much change today. Out of all the nine municipalities, the activity was just below 2,000 of people who came to voting stations to either check their registration details or register as new voters. The new registrations are about 740, and the rest are people who were either updating uh, their addresses or who have come to check their names on the voters' roll. Today, we still want to encourage people, if they can, to go to the voting stations. Beyond today, we will then be advising those who couldn't make it on how they can use our other platforms to check their registration details. In the Northern Cape, the IEC has attributed the low turnout to COVID-19, as IEC's Elkin Topkins explains. The reasons for the lower than expected uh, turnout may be a combination of factors in that voters are cautious and avoiding events where there are concentration of people. And then um, the commission also has an online facility and they may opt to register or re-register by using that facility which is available 24-7. In the case for these by-elections will be available until the 9th of October. In other words, close of business this coming Friday. In the Western Cape, councillor resignation, deaths and termination of councillor memberships are the reasons given for the 11 wards that are being contested. The online registration introduced by the IEC has also been commended as it made it easier for voters to change their details online. Moving on to Kenya right now, where President Uhuru Kenyatta is on an official visit to France, where he has strongly asserted that Africa's biggest asset is the potential held by its youthful population and not its natural resources. The visit comes more than two years after French President Emmanuel Macron visited Kenya. James Shimanyula reports. Speaking 
meeting at a business forum in the French capital Paris, Kenyan President Uru Kenyatta underscored the fact that the African continent's biggest asset is the potential held by its youthful population and not its natural resources. We look at the African continent from a perspective of its natural wealth, the gold, the diamonds, the oil, the gas. But what we tend not to see is what is the true African potential. And the true African potential is our young men and women and the capacity they have to participate to build a greater and better world for all of us. Explaining why year in, year out, Africa's young people are illegally entering Europe, Kenyatta said. We have huge problems, for example, with regard to migration that make people have this feeling or this understanding that all that Africa can contribute is migrants. But you must ask yourself, why do these young men and women risk their lives to cross thousands of miles of land, risk their lives to cross the waters of the Mediterranean? It is in search of opportunity. But imagine the power of us working together of tapping that opportunity while it is still in Africa. A chance, therefore, for all of us, while at the same time ensuring the safety, the security, and the peace of our two continents. Kenyatta pointed out that lack of opportunities on the African continent is turning young people into a problem for Europe and the rest of the world through desperate attempts at finding livelihoods. Turning to business, Kenyatta explained why time has come for French businessmen and women to invest heavily in Africa. As Africa starts to go under the Africa Free Trade Arrangement, there also exist huge opportunities in manufacturing. You're talking about a population on the African continent in excess of 1 billion people who need everything from toothbrush to toothpaste to shoes to socks. This is another huge opportunity that exists there and using our ability now as an African continent to come together, there is a huge opportunity in manufacturing. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta's visit to France comes at a time when the world is battling the invisible COVID-19 pandemic, alluding to the killer disease Kenyatta said. Despite this pandemic that has uh, created a very difficult situation for all of us globally, we have come to an understanding that even as we protect ourselves, even as we protect our health, we have to also understand that the world doesn't stop. The game must continue, the show must continue, and we must continue to see how do we get out of this together. No single country can deal with this alone. This is a global fight. This is a global war, and we can only win together. No single country can win this battle alone. That was Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, who is on an official visit to France. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Researchers who monitor the South African police service say the South Africans find it very difficult to trust the men and women in blue. They say based on studies, uh, South Africans do not believe that they can rely on the SEPS to keep them safe. And they believe that the police members are involved in corruption and criminal activity. Earlier this week, Police Minister Begitele said he hoped the newly gazetted South African police service amendment bill would bring about much needed changes in the service. Zaylene Merrington reports. 
One of the proposed changes in the police amendment bill is that officers would be vetted and undergo integrity tests. Police Minister Beki Kele has expressed concern about corruption within the police. At the funeral service of the late Lieutenant Colonel Charles Kinier, section commander of the anti-gang unit in the Western Cape, Kele said no one should be spared in an effort to fix SAPs. If things are done in a wrong way, and that includes me, Nothing should spare my own head. Nothing. Nothing. We cannot and we shall not allow our people, women and men in blue, to be butchered and then we don't know what happened. But reports and allegations of corrupt activity at the hands of those entrusted with maintaining law and order in the country continue. An independent researcher, Dale McKinley, says corruption is deeply entrenched in SAPS. One of the most fundamental problems in SAPS is widespread corruption, uh, both at whether that's at the leadership level or whether it's right down to the rank and file at a local police station. And this has clearly been well covered and well documented now for many, many years and one of the questions that that raises is, well, we expect our police personnel to be good public servants, to have integrity and honesty and to serve uh, and to have the best interest of the public at heart. And yet we find often the exact time for the exact opposite with SAPS. McKinley says it's easy for this behavior to flourish in the service because of alleged corruption at leadership level. He says this and what seems to be general impunity has not set a good example for the rank and file members. A researcher at the Socioeconomic Rights Institute, Tato Masiangwako, says the relationship between communities and the police is not good. From our research and the work that we've done with groups and communities that are vulnerable and often marginalized, the police um, are seen and known to be overly aggressive. Um, they're seen to resort to excessive uses of force, um, disproportionately and often unnecessarily so. And in the context of, of managing assemblies and protest action, the police are seen to lack key communication and de-escalation skills. And so from their perspective, um, the police are seen as a hostile organization often sent to suppress um, and contain valid um, concerns and to suppress dissent. The latest Independent Police Investigative Directorate April to September 2019 half-year report reflects more than 2,800 incidents recorded, of which more than 1,800 are assault matters and 115 incidents of deaths in police custody. There are 43 corruption-related matters. And that report was by Zaylene Merrington. It's now 7.30 Central African time. Let's uh, cross on over to the news desk. Here's Anne Musa with your latest news headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. In the headlines, two people have been killed and several injured in clashes between supporters of Kenya's president Uhuru Kenyatta and those backing his deputy William Ruto. 
Nigeria's Inspector General of Police has banned a notorious unit from carrying out activities amid growing anger about harassment and atrocities committed by its officers. And U.S. President Donald Trump is to remain under scrutiny as he stays in hospital for coronavirus treatment. There is skepticism over the prospect that it could be discharged in a few hours as questions continue over the seriousness of his illness. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Wild Oceans is causing quite a stir on social media with the launch of their We Don't Need Our Oceans campaign. The environmental non-profit organization hopes to show the world what life would be like without the oceans and subsequently place a spotlight on just how much people depend on them. More from campaign lead Lauren Fannikerk. During lockdown, like most of South Africa, I was spending way too much time on social media and I came across an article that had been turned into a set of graphics. And much like the front cover of a magazine, the first graphic said, don't read this. (laughs) And naturally, I carried on reading. And it got me thinking about us as humanity and Mm. how we resist pressure to do something or believe something. And as someone who's been campaigning and communicating about the oceans and the need to protect them for so long, it got me thinking about the fact that actually we maybe we need to just flip it on its head. Um, we don't act like we need our oceans. Um, so why don't we just <laughs> take that take that pressure away and uh, and say we don't need our oceans? I must admit it's been quite quite fun um, because lots of people thought as an environmental organisation that we'd lost our minds. But obviously the power is in being able to get people's attention, and once you have their attention, you have the ability to be able to educate them and mm. empower them with knowledge and uh, around all the reasons why we do need our oceans. So, Lauren, what has been the, the response uh, to the campaign? I mean, I know that there's been an outcry around, how can you say we don't need our oceans? But, but I mean, I get the message, <laughs> you've just explained it. But what has been the general response so far? A couple of people have been quite shocked, but it's all in helping people reflect on themselves. Um, you know, and the hope is also that that when people, when you deliver a message like we don't need our oceans, the immediate uh. response you would hope would be, of course we do. Um, and then you unpack all the reasons why. I mean, you know, a lot of our videos kind of paint, as you mentioned, we, we're trying to help South Africa um, process and see what our country would be like without our oceans. I mean, every second breath we take comes from the ocean. They provide us with oxygen. They provide us with food security, with job security. They help regulate weather. Uh, they mitigate against climate change, you know, well, marine protected areas specifically. So it's just trying to highlight all the reasons why we need our oceans and why we need to take action to protect them more. And let's talk a little bit about that, you know, that need that we have for oceans. I know that uh, research reveals that every second breath that we take um, as humans comes from the ocean. Let's talk about that need, um, Lauren. Yes, I mean, there's lots that the ocean gives us. And, you know, in order for the ocean to keep giving us everything that we keep taking from it, um, we have to protect more of it. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stress. There's, there's overuse, there's overfishing, there's oil and gas mining offshore. There's, um, you know, there's, there's all these factors 
um, that are contributing to our oceans becoming unhealthy and, and essentially unhealthy oceans means unhealthy us, you know, and that's just really the bottom line. So that's why this campaign hopes that decision makers will also pay attention um, and realize the need for us to increase protection. Currently, we only have 5% of the oceans around South Africa within marine protected areas. And it, we, need to, we need to do better. Um, you know, science tells us that we need a minimum of 50% in protected areas globally in order for the ocean to keep giving us what we take. Um, so, and that's a minimum. So we're sitting on five. We're hoping that we get to 10 very, very soon. Um, and then we'll be on the path towards 50. Now, you've been educating the masses, of course, about uh, the need for a healthy planet. Moreover, I mean, you know, our oceans. How do we then get to a point where the message is really getting across, Lauren? I mean, I know that not nearly enough has been done to really educate around issues like, uh, you know, the ocean and, and making sure that we take yeah. care of it, etc. So um, what other ways yeah. can we um, employ to really start getting the messages across to our communities? Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the things that us as an environmental NGO really take on our shoulders just to educate and make people more aware of, of what the ocean needs and, and how we should behave. But, you know, um, we, we have a great informative website, Ocean Impact and there's a take action page that uh, has an amazing list of things that you can do. Um, you can get involved in processes around increased ocean protection. Um, you can get involved in trying to change policy. There's all kinds of awesome things that you can do. But I also know that in this day and age, you know, we've got so many pressures, so, many, so much stress, so much going on in our daily lives. It's not always possible for everybody to do everything. So um, even if even if you just take on one thing, you know, even if you decide that you're going to not leave the house without your reusable coffee mug, you're not going to get a takeaway coffee um, in an unrecyclable coffee cup. You're going to say no to straws. You're going to say no to single-use plastic. You're going to take your shopping bag, your fabric shopping bag, into the shops, um, and you're not going to use so just small, tangible things. Um, there's, mm, there's mm. another thing that everybody can do. There's a, there's an app called the SASI app, S-A-S-S-I. Um, and basically how that app works is that it tells you which fish in our oceans are in trouble. So if you are sitting at a restaurant and you decide that you want to have a specific fish, you can plug it into the app and then it will tell you that this fish is in trouble, rather don't eat it. And then you can start making informed choices as to how you consume seafood. And that was uh, Lauren Fanikak, campaign lead for the We Don't Need Our Oceans campaign on the line to Zikonamiso. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. 
Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. To celebrate the 60th year of Nigerian independence, Apple Music is l- launching Oshe Niger, meaning Thanks Nigeria in Yoruba, a month-long campaign to honor Nigeria's rich musical history. The Oshe Niger collection will feature the hottest new Nigerian releases, classic Nigerian albums, artists' essentials, playlists, and music videos, as well as some of the biggest names in Nigerian music taking over Apple Music's hottest Nigerian playlists, Afrobeats hits, Niger hits, Alta Cruz and Afrobeats Workout. Apple Music would also feature exclusive guest playlists curated by some of Nigeria's most exciting celebrities and influencers. Musician Del B is uh, among the musicians who has curated his playlist for the rest of the month. I think this is a very powerful tool. You know, just like, you know, music is a very powerful tool, you know, so I think it's a very beautiful way to express everything that has been happening in Nigeria, you know, over the years. Because, I mean, this music, what it basically does is just takes you back to memories of everything that happened. Now, as a Nigerian musician, how do you feel about Apple giving you such a platform? Obviously, this will go globally. It's not just confined to Nigeria, but it's a global opportunity. So how do you feel about such an opportunity and it being in such a platform? Yeah, I mean, I feel so, I feel so blessed. I feel so honored, you know, to be part of, you know, the selected few to have this opportunity to do this, you know, with Apple, you know, because I mean, this means a lot to Africa. This means a lot to Nigeria, you know, it means a lot to my people, you know, and the fact that, you know, this music, just like I said earlier before, brings a lot of memories, you know, bring, draws a lot of memories, you know, so, you know, it could be, you know, a memory of you losing someone when the song came out, or memory of you making money, or memory of you, you know, celebration, happy birthdays, and things, you know, all those kind of memories. So, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful, coupled with the fact that Nigerians are very resilient, Nigerians are very strong, and very, you know, uh, how do I put it right now? You know, uh, I think all over the world, you know, Nigerians are known for people who always try hard. You know, despite, you know, coming from where we're coming from with all the whole political, 
issues going on, you know, all over the country and, you know, how the whole government and politics is not helping. So this is like a beautiful thing because at the end of the day, the music gives us hope, it gives us life, it gives us energy, you know, and I think that is what drives the city and that's what drives the people every day. Mm-hmm. So it's such a beautiful thing. And Delby, please tell us about now your selection for the month-long playlist and what went through your mind when you were picking all the songs that you put on this uh, month-long playlist. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just different memories, to be honest. You know, it was just different memories going on in my head, you know, because, I mean, I can remember at some point, because I picked the song like Why Me? You know, I can remember how, you know, that song was created, you know, that's far, as far back as 2000 and 2007, when that song was created, it was more or less like, you know, because I mean, I, I had the opportunity and the privilege to be in the studio with Don Jazzy and the band, you know, and Juan Deco, you know, so it was like the very beginning of something great that was happening. And I was just a student who was coming out from school and I was working as a sound engineer in the same studio where band and Don Jazzy was recording so I was just privileged to be there you know at that point in time to record the song you know with them I'm also be part of the production so for me like that was just that drew some memories for me that drew some incredible memories for me. Delby do you think that the world has really warmed up to a Nigerian culture in terms of music even the films do you think that uh, the world is really now wanting we are now interested in hearing what the nigerian artists have to offer mm-hmm. yeah i mean that is just basic you know because i mean that's what's been happening for the past you know god knows how long the past five ten years because i mean ever since the music the movies you know came out and you know blew up it was more like, okay, right now the whole world is listening. The whole world wants to know what's happening in Nigeria, even with fashion, even with the culture, you know, with the lifestyle and everything. I think, you know, even what happens in Ghana and Lagos, like every end of the year, you know, towards December, is always like a carnival. You know, everybody all around the world wants to be in Africa. You know, it wasn't like this thing used to happen as much as it's happening right now. Like everybody wants to come to Ghana. A lot of Americans want to come back home. A lot of, you know, Ghanaians living in America wants to come back. A lot of Nigerians living in America and London and all these other places, you know, they also want to come back, you know? So I think it's a beautiful thing also, because I mean, the music is so powerful and so beautiful and so blessed. And the feeling it gives to the people is just amazing. You know, you see people with so much joy just dancing in the club, so much happiness and excitement when this music comes out. So, like, it's such a spiritual thing. Music is a weapon, you know, it's a weapon, just like I said. You know, so if you use it wisely, you know, I believe God is going to bless it. And the culture also is going to affect people and touch people's life and change people, you know, give people hope. You know, that's the reason I believe why we are all here in the first place. And would you say that the country has progressed over the last 60 years? Obviously, you would not know, but from the years that you have been alive, would you say that there's been a lot of uh, progress in terms of just uh, Nigeria's development, Nigeria's growth? The truth is, you know, I'm I'm, going to say that in different ways, you know, it has affected, the country has moved on, like, move forward, like, there's been a lot of progress. 
you know, by the same time in some other sectors, it's like, you know, the country is still way, way, way backward. Do you understand? You know, in terms of the culture, in terms of, you know, entertainment, you know, lifestyle and things, a lot has improved, you know, a lot has changed, you know, but in terms of the governance, you know, the people we have there, the president, you know, I mean, the president we have right now was president before I was born. And that was Del B, a Nigerian musician in Lagos, Nigeria, on the line talking to Tutongo Beni. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. And now it's time for your latest economics news. Here's Tabi Solihoko. A very good morning. South Africans should brace themselves for a decrease in the price of fuel from midnight on Tuesday as the price of 93-octane petrol will go down by 23 South African cents per litre, while 95-octane petrol will decrease by 32 cents per litre. A diesel will decrease by between 90 and 93 cents per litre. Illuminating paraffin will decrease by over a rand per litre at one rand one cent decrease. The decreases are attributed to, amongst others, the rand's appreciation against the US dollar, along with the decreases in international oil prices. The Commission of Inquiry into the South African state capture will hear more allegations of corruption at ESCOM. Independent business consultant Nicholas Lionel will give evidence. He was appointed by former ESCOM chairperson Zola Zuzi to conduct an independent inquiry which resulted in the suspension of four senior executives, including former CEO Tsidiso Matona. Zuzi, who gave evidence at the commission last month, alleged that former President Jacob Zuma instructed him to appoint Lionel to implement the inquiry. Lionel is alleged to have had close ties with Dutumieni, a close friend of Zuma. 
Costa Rica says it will withdraw a conscientious austerity proposal aimed at helping the government secure a major loan from the International Monetary Fund after four days of protests. President Carlos Alvarado's government last month proposed a series of measures meant to help the tourism-dependent economy weather coronavirus crisis, including hiking taxes and freezing public sector wages as part of a negotiation with the IMF for a 1.75 billion loan. Alvarado, whose center-left party has a minority in Congress, said he still hoped to reach an agreement with the IMF for the loan, but would communicate with the various sectors to retool the economic recovery plan. The South African and Indian governments have asked the World Trade Organization to waive intellectual property rules to make it easier for developing countries to produce or import drugs for the treatment of COVID-19. In a letter to the WTO, the two countries called on the global trade body to waive parts of the agreement on trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights trips, which governs patents, trademarks, copyright and other intellectual property rules globally. They say concern is mounting over developing countries' ability to access new diagnostics, therapeutics and vaccines for COVID-19 in sufficient quantities and at affordable prices. The letter asks that the WTO's Council for TRIPS recommends a waiver to the body's general council as early as possible. The Nigerian unit of oil measure Chevron plans to cut its local workforce by 25% to reduce costs. This is due to weak demand for oil in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. The company, which operates a joint venture with Nigeria's state-owned double NPC, says it needs to make the adjustments to remain competitive in light of the prevailing business climate. The U.S. dollar is trading at 382.49 Nigerian Nara, 11.42 Botswana Pula, 107.29 Kenyan Shilling and 23 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, in Brazil, 1 U.S. dollar costs 5 rubles 68, Russia, 78 rubles 10, India, 73 rupees 12. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 61.78 and in South Africa, it will cost you 16 rand 50. The US dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and 85 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,906 and platinum at $887 per ounce, while Brent crude oil is at $39.35 a barrel. Africa, your favorite channel. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
And that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today from myself, Samora Mangesi, producer Luana Momrik, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the Africa Rise and Shine team. Thank you so much for joining us. For comments on the show, do send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. Send us a WhatsApp to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. And you can also tweet us on at Channel Africa One. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Konza by Kekelingo featuring Ami Fako. Goodbye. recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up 
and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. 